I heard a story once about a plane of passengers traveling to Boston. En route, the plane hit a severe weather front that began to impact the journey of the plane. As the plane steered into major turbulence, the fastened seatbelt was turned on and everyone returned to their seat to ride out the storm. Sadly though, the journey proved to only get worse, with the plane being severely shaken by the turbulence that it was flying through. Naturally, distress began to fill the cabin as passengers began to white-knuckle it, many of them calling, crying out, phoning loved ones, some of them even being sick. In the midst of this, a sheer panic was beginning to take over the passengers on the plane, and one of the rows sat a little old lady quietly knitting a jumper. All the other passengers were crying and shouting and vomiting, and this old dear was sitting counting her stitches letting her needles work their magic. One of the passengers clocked this and I went over to the lady and said, how in the world can you stay so calm in the midst of all of this chaos? How can you stay so calm with all that's happening right now? And the old lady responded, it's like this young man. I'm a born again Christian and I'm on my way to visit my son in Boston. Just two weeks ago, my other son passed away suddenly he was also a Christian and has now went home to be with Jesus. You see, before this day is over, I'm going to see one of my boys. I don't know which boy it will be, but before this day is out, I'm going to be in the company of one of my sons. And at this, she picked up her needles and continued to knit. It's a good story, isn't it? And this story is set within an ordinary, everyday occurrence, not the crazy storm bit, but the flying bit. Every morning, noon, and night from airports all over the world, people take off in planes and they land on planes. And in our story that we've just shared there, the plane is one that every day, perhaps even multiple times a day, it makes the same journey. Flying into Boston was no special occurrence. It happens all the time. In fact, right now as we speak, there are most likely planes descending into Boston and planes flying off into the Boston skyline. It's a normal, everyday, ordinary, humdrum occurrence. However, on this one occasion, something unexpected happened. Something not foreseen, something not anticipated. On this occasion, a plane making an ordinary, everyday journey flew into a storm that sent the plane and its passengers into distress. And in that moment, as the unexpected visited the ordinary and the everyday, fear broke out. Fear began to take over people's thinking, people's emotions, people's reactions, all except one little old lady. She was the epitome of calm. She faced the same unexpected storm that everybody else faced, but she remained unaffected by it. Her thinking was unaffected, her emotional equilibrium. She had the presence of mind to count her stitches and follow her pattern. She, it would seem, was unmoved by the situation, whereas everyone else's emotions were free-flowing, most of them into their sick bag. This woman existed in a position of peace in the midst of chaos, and the reason for this was her faith. The presence of faith in the midst of fear allowed her to pursue peace. And you know, we live in a chaotic world, in a world in which all of us in some way are looking for our own experience of peace. 
And true, genuine peace can only be found when we allow faith to presence itself in the midst of fear. In the culture in which we live, we have in some senses popularized and normalized fear. Fears now have categories and labels. We talk about phobias. We catalog fears in this encyclopedia of terminology. And I looked it up on the old Google, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phobias listed. Let me give you some. For example, there is pelidophobia, fear of bald people. <laughs> there is sinistrophobia, fear of those to your left. There is dextrophobia, fear of those to your right. There is consecutoliophobia, fear of chopsticks. Bogeyphobia, fear of bogeys or the bogeyman. Microphobia, Fear of small things. Omphalophobia. Fear of belly buttons. <laughs> Pentherophobia. This is one I completely understand. Fear of the mother-in-law. <laughs> Genuphobia. Fear of knees. Hippopotamostrosis quipadaliophobia. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, Hippopotamostrosis quipadaliophobia. <laughs> Let me tell you what this is. Hippopotamostrosis quipadaliophobia is the fear of long words. <laughs> genuinely. That genuinely is what that is. And then there's phobophobia, which is the phobia of having a phobia. <laughs> now, although we have a bit of fun in naming these, what we don't poke fun at is the fact that people live with very real phobias that shape the way that they live and can impact day-to-day -day lives. What can seem normal, ordinary, irrelevant, nothing to us is a big deal to other people. And we recognize that people live with fear and they live with phobias that do impact day-to-day -day life. The point that we make though is that now more than ever, fear is a huge part of the culture in which we live. And the even bigger point that we make today in response to that is that the presence of faith in a culture of fear allows us to pursue peace in our innermost being. And we unpack that thought from the Bible today and we turn to a passage in Luke's gospel. If you have your Bible, if you've got the app on your phone, turn to Luke chapter 8 and we're going to read from verse 22 to 25. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they go into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. 
A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. The scene here is that Jesus is with his disciples and they say, he says to them, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now in Jesus' time, traveling from one side of the lake, which was the Sea of Galilee, traveling from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other was a common occurrence. It's a bit like jumping on a bus to go to town or on the train for a jaunt through to Edinburgh. Traveling via boat across the Sea of Galilee happened all the time when someone had to get from one place to the other. So that means that the journey that Jesus suggested to them, well, it wasn't an extraordinary journey. It wasn't an unusual one. It was an ordinary, everyday occurrence. And what supports that thought even more is when we recognize who it is that Jesus asks to journey with him. It's his disciples. They are, by and large, predominantly fishermen. These are guys who know how to work a boat. These are guys who know how to handle a ferry crossing, and they've probably done this journey hundreds of times before they made this particular journey. So what Jesus was asking was just a normal, everyday thing. In fact, what shows that it's very normal, very humdrum, is that as they set sail and as they make their journey, Jesus falls asleep. And who could blame him? The boat is gently rocking. The sound of the waves lapping on the side of the boat, coupled with the fresh sea air, encourages Jesus to, much like many of you have right now, just drift off <laughs> to sleep. This journey is just an ordinary, everyday journey until, verse 23 says, a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now, hang on a minute. Everything up until now was going really well. This was an ordinary, everyday humdrum crossing. Everything about the journey was going great. And suddenly a squall descended on the lake. A squall isn't a giant bird, by the way. A squall is a sudden sharp increase in wind speed, usually associated with rain and thunderstorms. I looked it up, by the way. I didn't know that. I just looked it up. In other words, suddenly a weather front from Costal del Glasgow arrived on the Sea of Galilee. And clearly this was unexpected. The sailing started off smoothly, so smoothly that Jesus fell into deep sleep. There is nothing to suggest in the text that these guys in any way expected this storm to happen, that they were prepared for this to happen. This storm came out of absolutely nowhere. It was not expected, it was not anticipated, it was unforeseen even for these experienced fishermen and sailors. And this unexpected storm was beginning to have a major impact on them and a major impact on their progress and their journey because the boat became swamped. These experienced seafaring fishermen are being overwhelmed by the storm and not just them, but their boat is literally overwhelmed by the storm. It's swamped, it's going under. They're struggling to keep it afloat. And here's where we draw a huge parallel to human living. We journey through life 
And everything is ordinary, everything's plain sailing, everything's easygoing, just an everyday humdrum experience. And then out of absolutely nowhere, completely unexpected, not anticipated, completely unforeseen, a storm descends on our life and just dumps chaos and distress onto our journey. Suddenly, a hurdle appears at work. Suddenly, a health issue appears out of nowhere. Suddenly, a relationship breaks down and a friendship goes cold. Suddenly, a huge bill arrives or wrong decisions begin to catch up on us. Tension arrives in the house. Suddenly, the car breaks down. The boiler goes in the blink. A target isn't met at work. Redundancy arrives. Suddenly, a friend stops talking to you. The test results aren't good news and the mood begins to drop. The golden opportunity disappears. The dream dies. You make a mistake. The exams fail. Your spouse walks out. The loved one doesn't live. Stress kicks in. Suddenly, 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 something happens. You're in a place where you're not sure if you can cope. It seems like just five minutes ago, everything was fine. In fact, if you could rewind just a few minutes, you would gladly go back to just the ordinary, everyday humdrum. But now out of the blind side, chaos descends. And the emotions that are triggered in that moment are very real. You feel swamped. You struggle to stay afloat. You feel like you're drowning. You can't see a way out. You can't get out of the situation. You feel a bit stuck. And here's the thing. This might describe for some of us in this room right now, this might describe exactly where we're living right now. For some of us, that might describe something that we've been through in the recent past or in the distant past. But here is a big truth. Even though at times we can have externally moved on as in life has moved forward from the stormy situation. Even when the difficulty can be in the past and be a historical thing, there still can be times when even though physically the storm has passed, emotionally and mentally and in the soul, the effects of that stormy situation can still remain. In your head, in your heart, that storm still rages. Externally, progress seems to occur. Life moves on. The dust settles. Things move forward. But in your head, you're still replaying the scenario. In your heart, you're still feeling the emotions. The landscape around you has changed, but the soul still carries the storm. Whether you're in it, whether you've been through it, this passage speaks to each and every one of us. Because in this passage of Scripture, the disciples are caught in a storm, and the first thing that they do is they turn to Jesus. It says they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Here is a definition of faith. It's a really simplistic definition, but it's a definition nonetheless. To have faith is to have someone to turn to in the midst of the storm. See, truth is, though, when stormy situations arise, we are normally all really good at doing the God thing, aren't we? Instinctively, we all turn to God. We all let out that emergency prayer that we send up like a flare to heaven. Whether that's a speaking out of what we hope to happen or a request of what we would very much like to happen, we all speak what ultimately is a prayer. We instinctively turn to Him. But actually, how we turn to Him is important. In Mark's gospel, he records the exact same stormy situation and his version of events record the disciples as saying, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Notice the tone in the disciples' interaction here. It's almost accusatory. It's almost questioning. A stormy situation has 
unexpectedly manifest before them, and they turn to Jesus, and they accuse him of not caring. They question his nature and his character. Now, before we go all high and mighty on this, looking down our noses at the disciples, let's be honest, we've all done it. The crisis happens. The catastrophe occurs. We feel hard done by. We feel wrong by life. And we turn to God and maybe in an accusatory manner from time to time, and we question. We question him. We question who he is. We question where he is. We question what he's done, what he is doing. And the big thing that's important for us to understand is, do you know what, actually, it's okay to question. It's okay to feel wronged. It's okay to feel the injustice and to question that injustice and to question the why of what has happened. It's okay to feel that you've been dealt a raw deal if, in actual fact, you have been dealt a raw deal. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel what you feel. Faith should never suppress true feelings. If we detach ourselves from feeling what we feel, if we deny ourselves the chance to feel the emotions that are within our souls, then we cannot process them. And we cannot move forward from them in a way that is emotionally stable and in a way that is emotionally healthy. We need to give permission to feel. And we need to give permission to express. And believe it or not, God is actually big enough and more than capable of handling how we really feel. We tend to hide it from him. We daren't express how we're really feeling, but the thing is, he kind of already knows. So it's better that we're just honest with him. It's okay to question, but when we ask a question, we've got to be ready to listen to the answer. So often we throw our question up at God, but we don't make room or take time to listen and accept his answers. But the point that we're making today is that to have faith is to have someone to turn to in the storm. Now, you might say, I do have someone to turn to. I have my husband, my wife, my partner, my parents, my family, my friends. I have those that I can turn to in those moments. And it's right that we do that. And in fact, we should always do that. However, these are only people that can help us ride the storms of life. To have faith is to have someone to turn to in the storm, someone who will not only ride out and journey through the storm with us, but actually to have someone that can make a difference. Someone who has the power to deal with the storm. And his name is Jesus. Verse 24 says, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided and all was calm. In this moment, the disciples turn to Jesus. Now, they have a boat full of experienced fishermen. Guys who have weathered storms before. Guys that have experience in navigating through squalls and gales and freak Scottish weather fronts. But even although they have journeying with them, those who are experienced in riding out storms, they still turn to Jesus because he's the only one that can deal with the storm. It is important that when we journey through the difficult moments in life that we turn to friends and family and we bring them in to what we're dealing with and what we're journeying through. But here is a big truth. There is only one that has the power to bring difference and change. And his name is Jesus. And what Jesus does in dealing with it is absolutely fascinating. We're told that he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the waves and as a result, the storm lifts and all is calm. And we've mentioned this here before at Glasgow Elam, but the ministry of Jesus in this moment is amazing. 
When he intervenes, when he steps into this situation, when he gets to work within it, he does two things. Firstly, he deals with the cause of the storm. Scripture says he rebukes the wind, that which caused it. Then he dealt with the consequences of the storm. He spoke to the waves. He rebuked the waves. He told them, as some versions say, to be still. He restores calm and peace. To have faith is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not just to know about him, but it is to actually know him to discover his reality, to make him part of your life and your lifestyle, to have him as your friend. It is to know him so intimately that you can call upon him in the unexpected storms, crisis, and catastrophes of life. And when we call upon him, here's what he does. He steps into the stormy situation and he begins by dealing with that which is causing the storm. He deals with that that is causing the crisis. He gets to work in the situation and he works out God's plan and purpose within it and causes that circumstance to come into alignment with the plan and the purpose of God. But as well as that, if we will allow him, he'll also deal with the consequences of the storm. He not only works externally in our situations, but he also works internally, bringing healing to our hearts and our minds releasing peace, restoring health and wholeness. So that even though the storm is past, he deals with what's going on inside so that we don't continue to carry it with us. He works in such a way that we can move forward fully in our journeys and he does it in a way that our past doesn't define us and our history doesn't continue to haunt us. In Matthew's gospel, the same story is told and Jesus is recorded as saying to the disciples, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. In this version of events in Matthew, Jesus identifies another companion on their journey. Fear. Fear has gripped them. And here is a little insight into how fears are created. Fear is very often the result of the unexpected. When something happens unexpectedly, something that was not anticipated, something that was not foreseen, something that we have no control over, when something negative happens that is out with our control, often the emotion that arises is fear. We're out of our depth, we're feeling swamped, we can't control what's taking place. We feel fear. And that's not wrong to feel. I think we need to change the conversation in church and say it's not wrong to feel fear. Fear is a natural emotion that is built within us to protect us. It's not wrong to feel it. It's what we do with it that's important. And the bigger truth is that when that unexpected thing has passed, when the storm is over, what it can often leave behind is fear. Let me give you a personal example of that. Round about when I was 21, 2021, I was wet behind the ears. I was studying for ministry. And during that time, I was also privileged to be part of the pastoral team at the church that I was at. In fact, I was the student assistant pastor. 
And Susan and I, we were in charge of the youth group and we got news that one of the young people had been rushed into hospital to get his appendix out. So I decided to do the pastoral thing and go and visit them at the hospital. And it was a really cold, wintry day and I put on a really heavy jumper as I was traveling back down from Glasgow. And I remember going to the hospital and meeting Susan there. She's a midwife, so she worked in the hospital and she came down and met me. And we went looking for this guy. Now, he was about 17, 18 years old, but for some reason he was in the children's ward. And those of you that have been around hospitals know that hospitals are really warm. Children's wards are even warmer. So we found this guy and he was in a room, a small room on his own. I cannot emphasize the small part of the small room. And in the room was his mum and his dad, his brother, his sister, his grandmother, his grandfather, me, Susan. He was lying in the bed and a very large nurse was taking up the remaining airspace. <laughs> and she was giving him very slowly an injection. And as I looked at his face, as slowly the injection was going into his vein and he was grimacing and I turned to the mum and the mum began to tell me the story. People really like to share medical stories with incredible detail. Some would say unnecessary detail. And she told me about the pain that he was in and how he was being sick and how he was rushed to hospital and look over and watch the needle in the arm and the pain in his face. And she began to tell me about how it became so inflamed and how he was so incredibly ill and I looked over and saw the needle in his arm and the pain in his face. And then suddenly she began to talk about pus. There was so much pus. How she knew there was pus in this appendix, I've got no idea. But there was so much pus in this appendix and it was going to burst and it was going to be really bad. And I looked over at the needle in the arm and the pain in his face and Suddenly that thing happened where the room, the lights went out and the floor came up to meet me. <laughs> and I fainted. Now there's no shame in that except I took the grandmother to the floor with me. <laughs> and I came to lying on top of the grandmother to find Susan, the mum and the large nurse fanning me with bed pants <laughs> to bring me back round. It was not my finest hour. But let me tell you, that had never happened to me before, apart from one occasion in a street corner where a man told me about his reverse vasectomy, but we're definitely not telling that story today. But I tell you what, see, after that, I had a very real fear about doing hospital visits. And a oh, thank you for the sympathy, that was lovely. <laughs> Wasn't expected, but that was lovely. I had a very real fear in doing hospital visits or, or, or entering into medical chat or anything like that because I was so frightened that that would happen again. See, fear is often a residual reaction or a residual emotion to an unexpected situation. That when the situation passes and we move on from it, sometimes the fear doesn't. And it continues to reside and to live within. Fear tends to kick in when we're not in control. And here in this passage, the disciples find themselves in a situation out with their control and their fear kicks in. And Jesus responds to them saying, where is your faith? Now, while we can read this almost as Jesus telling the disciples off and we push past that to see in actual fact the profound truth that he's bringing to us here, in response to their fear, Jesus identifies the absence of faith. He calls out what they're feeling. And what they're feeling is fear. 
But in the presence of their fear, he also calls out what is absent, faith. And I know that some preachers can go hard line on this. We should never feel fear. We should always be filled with faith. And if we have fear, it actually shows a lack of faith. But I'm just not sure I buy into that. Fear is a human emotion that we're giving and created to experience within moments of life. We should not be made to feel guilty or feel like spiritual failures when we experience something that is natural to every human being. It's not feeling fear that's the problem. It's what we do with it. And what Jesus suggests here is that there's a way to journey through the storms. There's a way to navigate through the extreme difficulties and the hard times in life. And there's a way to do it with a measure of peace. And the way to do that is to embrace faith. Notice that Jesus isn't angry that the storm has happened. He doesn't wake up and say to the disciples, this storm should not have happened right now. Or it has no right to be here. His issue isn't with the presence of the storm. His issue is with the absence of faith. And let's be clear. Making life's journey with Jesus in your boat does not disqualify you from pain and hard times and difficulties. You're not exempt from the storms of life when you journey with Jesus. There will be hard times. There will be difficulty. There will be pain and heartache and grief. But there is a way to navigate through those things with peace in your innermost being. It's faith. Everyone in the disciples' boat was gripped with fear. That boat was marked by a culture of fear. Jesus' suggestion in his response to the disciples is that the presence of faith and the culture of fear is what allows us to ride the storms with peace in our innermost being like the woman on the plane, knitting her jumper. The culture in that plane was a culture of fear, but she sat in complete calm and peace, even though everyone else was in chaos. What caused her peace? Her faith did. The presence of peace and the culture of fear, the presence of faith, sorry, and the culture of fear cultivates peace. Everyone in the disciples' boat was gripped with fear. The culture in that boat was a culture of fear, but Jesus adopted a different position. He slept. He adopted a position of peace. See, there's one who is not impacted ever by the storms of life. There is one who journeys with us and navigates the experiences of life alongside us. There's one who holds peace and exists in peace, even in the trials and the difficulties, and even in the trials and difficulties of extreme natures. There is one that exists unimpacted by all of that, and his name is Jesus. Faith, we said, is having someone to turn to in the storms of life, and it's having someone who is unmoved by that which is shaking our worlds upside down. Someone that's not impacted, not restricted, not limited by what goes on, but someone who holds perfect peace and someone who brings that peace into every situation that we invite him into. In the storm, the disciples turned to Jesus and notice what he did. It says he got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided and all was calm. Jesus got to work in their situation and he brought the culture that was cultivated by their circumstances into the culture that he carried. 
He brought the whole situation into peace. It says as the result of Jesus' interaction that the storm subsided and the all was calm. He dealt with what was causing the storm. He dealt with the effects of the storm and the resulting influence was peace. All was calm. And it's interesting to note that the circumstances changed within this moment. But the position that Jesus embodied never did. They set sail and he drifts off to sleep. He rests in peace. The storm descends and he continues to sleep. He maintains peace. The disciples wake him and he releases his peace. But through the whole thing, his culture, the position he adopted never once changed. He rested in peace, he maintained peace, he released peace. He was always in the position of peace. Jesus is never impacted or influenced by the storm. Instead, Jesus always impacts and influences the storm with who he is and with what he brings, and that's peace. Faith is about having someone to turn to in the storm. Someone unaffected isn't impacted by the storm, but someone who brings his influence to bear upon the storms that we face and affects them with his peace, and his name is Jesus. Faith in Jesus is about journeying through life with one who transforms the circumstances that we face with the culture that he carries, peace. The presence of faith in the culture of fear equates peace because the presence of faith equals the presence of Jesus. And wherever he is, whatever situation he manifests within, whatever is happening, he always brings peace.